How is everybody? <laughs> good, good. Hey, I wanted to open up service today. Um, wanted to pray for someone. Uh, Spencer, who makes all these, these awesome videos that we see, he and his family, um, obviously he works here and his family has been coming to church here for a while. And uh, his mother, Karen, just passed away this weekend and um, uh, fought with cancer for a while and, and an exceptional woman, a great woman, and, and just an awesome relationship with Christ, an awesome attitude. And her, her whole family has an awesome attitude in relationship with Christ. And uh, we don't mourn for her. I mean, she's where we all want to end up one day. And uh, she's a great woman, but uh, we do mourn for her family who is going to miss her because she was such an exceptional person. And so if you would, uh, we're just going to pray for the Holloways and um, just pray for that family, pray for her, her, her two boys and pray for her husband and, and just for all the friends of that family. She had many. So uh, if you would, if you just join with me in prayer. Father God, we love you. Lord, I want to pray that you touch the Holloways. Lord, what a Wonderful family, God, such great attitudes, such great hearts, Lord, just wonderful, wonderful people. Father, I know they're going to be okay. I know you're going to carry them through this really confusing and hard time. God, I know that you're going to walk with them. I know that you're going to give them strength. But Lord, I just pray that you just cover up that family. I want to I thank you, Father, for her relationship with you. God, that really does, like your word says, it, it takes the sting out of death, God, when we know that people are connected with you. And Lord, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you so much for what you've done in that family and to that family and through that family. And we just pray that you cover them up during these times. God, we love you, Lord, and we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys could just keep them in your prayers. Wonderful family. Um, okay, if you guys haven't been here before, maybe you've been coming for a long time and you just need a refresher. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John for quite a while now. Now, let me see if I can catch you up to kind of where we are in the story. We're in chapter 17. And where we're kind of at in this chunk of the Gospel of John, which is all about Jesus's life, right? We've just ended the Last Supper. Now, even if you're not a Christian in here, most people are familiar with the Last Supper, right? So the Last Supper has just wrapped up. This is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is where Judas slips out into the night and he's gonna go betray Jesus here in the next chapter that we're gonna study after this. And so Jesus takes his 11 disciples, He's kind of giving them all this kind of last minute coaching, if you will, or walking with them and telling them what to expect. He's preparing them, not just for the hard night they're about to have, but preparing them for their future, right? So he's pouring all this stuff into them, kind of last minute instruction. They walk out of where the Last Supper is. They go into the streets. It's nighttime, right? They're going to walk to a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're going to go through what's called the Kidron Valley, and as they're going through this, this area, Jesus is still reiterating all this instruction to them. And in chapter 17, he actually is going to pray for them. So as they're walking to their kind of final destination, if you will, before he gets arrested, Jesus is going to pray for them. He's going to pray for himself. He's going to pray for the 11 disciples. And he's going to pray for all the future Christians. That's us, right? And so that's what chapter 17 is. It's a prayer from Christ. Now, here's what we hope to pull from today's chapter. This is kind of the lesson we hope to learn is this, is that we can engage the darkest night, the darkest situation, the most troublesome times. We can engage that. We can meet that head on if we have been prepared to do so. If we've spent adequate time with Christ, we can engage the night. We can go into the darkest situations, okay? That's kind of our goal to reach that conclusion by the end of this lesson, okay? So I'm gonna pray, 
I will get into this. You should have a notes handout. You guys, it seems like really quiet in here. Everyone okay, right? Did Corey make you guys say hi to each other? Okay, I won't do it to you again. Uh, it's enough friendliness for today. So, uh, okay, we'll pray. We'll get into this. You should have notes handouts in front of you. Um, everything I'm going to say is on those notes handout, hand, handouts. And uh, be patient with me today. I've been a little frazzled the last week or so, you know, just because of stuff. And uh, so just be patient with me. If I'm not on my A game, I'm going to do my best just to let the Lord speak through me and we'll see what happens, okay? So you're welcome to pray for me. I'm going to pray for all of us and uh, we'll jump into this. Father God, I love you. I want to love you more than anything. God, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for all these people who've come out today, God, to hear your word. I want to pray that you open up our ears, open up our eyes, God. Lord, let us to the best of our ability, Lord, let us understand what you're saying to us. And Lord, let us apply these things, do these things. Father, we pray for every church in our community. We pray for every pastor. We pray for all the congregations. We pray for the nonprofits in our community that are doing great things in your name. We pray, Lord, that you're the one that becomes famous, that you're the one that is known, God. Not our churches, not our pastors, not our nonprofits, Lord, you. That you're the focus, God. Lord, we love you. And we thank you and we lift you up, God. Lord, I pray that you're honored by this lesson today and by our response to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in the fourth book of the New Testament in chapter 17. This is all Jesus talking today, okay? And I will jump into this and we'll see what happens, all right? Here we go. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you, for you gave him authority over all flesh so he may give eternal life to all those you've given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you, before the world existed. Now, I've already said this, but here's what's going on, right? So they're leaving the upper room where the Last Supper took place. They're heading out, and he's praying out loud about his mission. And this prayer that Jesus is praying, all of chapter 17, this prayer that he's praying essentially gets wrapped up when Jesus is on the cross, and he said, it is finished. So it starts here, kind of the night before the crucifixion, and then it ends while he's on the cross. There's this focus on the mission of why Jesus came. Now, the whole reason Jesus came was to change things. If you go back into the Old Testament, I'm talking way back into the book of Genesis in the third chapter, in the book of Genesis, there became this chasm or this separation between God and man, right? There was this kind of father-son relationship with humanity until sin came into the picture and the approachability that we have with God had changed for a long time. It's not that God didn't love us. It's not that God didn't communicate with us, but there was this distance between us. The main reason why Jesus came was to close that distance. God took on the form of man, and through Christ, he moved through mankind. And no longer would there be this separation, no longer would there be this veil that separated the presence of God from the, the normal, average, everyday person. Now we would have that family dynamic with God again. Now what's happening in this part of the story is this is starting to take place. 
through the crucifixion, through the resurrection, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that chasm between us and God is going to be bridged, okay? So every time Jesus speaks in the gospel, Jesus speaks with purpose, right? There's no wasted words with Jesus. Whenever Jesus talks, we need to take note of every single thing he says. Now, every time we see him pray, it's even more laser-focused. Now, he doesn't, we don't have a whole lot of Jesus' prayers recorded. We have a couple, and this is the longest one in the gospels, this prayer that we are, are, are gonna study today. Now, in this prayer, he asks for God to be glorified through him, he prays for his closest friends, and then he prays for all the people who are going to follow him because of the work they're doing. One thing we notice that Jesus does not pray for is Jesus never asks for power. Why? Because he already has all power. He has all authority, as he says. He is the sovereign God, so he doesn't ask for any power because he doesn't need it. He already has everything that he needs, okay? This entire prayer is also focused on the big picture, and the big picture is eternal life. The reason why Jesus came, not just to bridge this gap between us and God, but it was to came, he came to offer us an eternity with God, right? That's the whole point. This was always the mission, even though it kind of got temporarily hijacked because of our mistakes. Here's what we do, though. We talk about eternal life a lot, right? We even tell people, like, you need to know Jesus so you can have eternal life, and we sometimes kind of think about eternal life as being the big gold city, right? The new Jerusalem, or we think of eternal life as being the pearly gates and the foundations that are made up of these isotropic stones and this new earth that we're going to live on. A lot of the stuff Kyle was talking about, which is interesting. We don't, he doesn't see my message. I don't check his songs. Like we don't collaborate. We just kind of like trust each other not to screw it up, right? And it's kind of neat how the Holy Spirit kind of works, but we often think of heaven and eternity as being this stuff, and that's not what it's about. Eternal life is not the stuff. Eternal life is Jesus. That's eternal life, is knowing the true God and knowing Jesus Christ with whom he sent. And the beauty of eternity is simply the fact that we get to be with our creator. That is the beauty of heaven, more than all the other things. So how do we glorify God? Jesus again clears this up. He says, God, I have, Father, I've glorified you by doing the tasks, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, all of us are given tasks by God. All of us have been given a mission, a destiny, if you will. And though we can never properly reciprocate the love that God has shown for us, no matter how good we are, we can never pay back what Jesus has done for us. But when we do what he tells us to do, when we follow his commands, we show God that we love him and we show God that we honor him. So though we can't pay it back, we can show him that we love him by being obedient to what he tells us to do, okay? And so Jesus says, my hour has come. And for over three years, about three and a half years, Jesus has been walking with this men and telling them that there was going to come this hour, right? This time period where this mission is going to come to fruition. And that mission that he came to accomplish is called the atonement. Now, all that is, that's a fancy word for the fact that Jesus was going to come and all the things that were made wrong he was going to make right. He was going to be the payment for all sin. He was going to be the atonement. And at the end of this opening part of this prayer that we read, 
we are reminded of who Jesus is. He says he existed before the world, which shows us that Jesus is in fact God, right? He and the Father are one. And so that, that lets us know, that leads us to believe that the only thing that can right the wrongs of humanity is Christ, right? Simple, it is Jesus. He is the answer, right? So now he's prayed for himself. Now he's gonna pray for his best friends, okay? This is what it says. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you've given to me are from you, because the words that you gave me, I gave to them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I have been glorified in them. This part's important. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you've given me so that, none of, uh, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by the name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except for the son of destruction, that's Judas, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. So if anyone ever asks you, what did Jesus do for us? Why did Jesus come down? God took on the form of humanity to communicate to people the expectations of God. In fact, many times when Jesus was speaking, he would say things like, you've heard it like this, but I say this. And what he's essentially saying is, you've been confused on this topic, let me clear it up for you. That's what Jesus was coming to do for us. So when Christ came to earth, the first thing that he did as he started his ministry was he found some people to follow him, he drew in some disciples, he created a vibrant, healthy relationship with them, and then he proceeded to show them the nature of God. That's what he did. Now, here's the thing about that. We tend to say that all people are children of God, and biblically, that's not actually true. God owns all of humanity. Everything belongs to him because he created it all. But only those who accept Jesus Christ are adopted into the family of God. Those are the children of God. Those are people that call him father, right? And so not everyone on earth is a child of God. We all belong to him, but until we accept Jesus Christ as our savior, we're not family of God yet. I know it's a hard truth, but it is the truth. And so Jesus said, I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted it. Not only did Jesus come to communicate the expectations of God to us, but he came to present it in a way that we could understand. And now we have the benefit, not only of the spoken word of God, we have the benefit of the written word of God. We have all of this in front of us, and this gives us clarity, and this gives us the information we need in order to live the right way that we should. And so this information that we have that changes lives and changes people's perspectives and ultimately gets them to eternal life, we are commissioned to share that word. The responsibility of Christianity and of the church ultimately is to show people who Jesus is and instruct them on how to follow them. Now listen, 
We do that in a multiplicity of ways. We do that by helping the poor. We do that by doing art classes. We do that by you know, going out and doing community service projects. All those things are good. But at the end of the day, the mission of Christians is to communicate Christ to other people. That is the ultimate goal of the Christian is to communicate Christ. Another thing that Christians are commissioned to do, told to do by God, is we are called to intercede. Now that's a very fancy word that we use sometimes in church, intercessory prayer and to be in intercession, right? That's a fancy word for the fact that we just pray proactively for people. Before bad things happen, before tragedy strikes, like we talked about last week, we are to be praying for people. That we are to be, as Ezekiel says, standing in the gap, being the one to bridge God and people, right? That we are called to do that. And we see that Jesus prays specifically for his disciples. Now, just like Jesus, guys, every single person in this room has been entrusted with someone or multiple people. If you're a parent in here, you are commissioned by God to pray for your kids, pray for your spouse, pray for your family, pray for your neighbors, pray for those around us. And we don't need to wait till something bad happens. We should always be praying for the people in our sphere of influence. We should be lifting these people up to Christ, protect them, walk with them, touch their hearts, convict them, whatever we need to pray for them. We are called to watch out for others spiritually. Why did Jesus intercede for us? He tells us. This is interesting. Jesus says, I'm no longer going to be in the world. I'm going to go up to my, you know, my home with my father, right? I'm going to go up, but they're still going to be in the world. And Jesus prays protection over his disciples. Why? Because he's about to hand them the torch. He's doing all the work right now. And he's about to say, all right, guys, it's your turn now. Father, protect them. And they find protection in the name of Jesus. Look what he says. He says, Father, protect them by the same name that you've given me. That means that when we pray Jesus's name, that's a big deal. We don't use that name haphazardly. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, We need to use that name very carefully. That name invokes all the power of heaven. That name protects us. And not only are we to pray Jesus over people and over ourselves, but we're to be united as one. Christianity can only be the salt and light of the world if we're dependent on Jesus, and quite frankly, if we're dependent on each other. That's where we have the breakdown. We must be one like God and his son were one. We'll get to that here in a little bit though, okay? He's still praying for his disciples, all right? Everyone okay? You're just awfully quiet, man. It's like creeping me out, right? Okay, all right, everyone's good? Good, all right, good, good. I haven't told like any super funny jokes today or something, so you're probably not warmed up yet, but my bad. (laughs) So now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I'm not praying, this is so important, look at this. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, so I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Now, 
If you ever just want to like geek out sometime on your commute to work and listen to podcasts on church history, right? In the middle of the third century, there was a movement in Christianity called monasticism. All that means is there were a bunch of Christians who got together. They saw how crazy the world was, right? And how much the world didn't accept Christ. So they secluded themselves to monasteries, monasticism, right? They became monks. And they said, we're going to huddle over here and we're just going to leave the world alone. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. And I'm not saying that people who go to monasteries are necessarily wrong. But it was never God's intention for us to not engage the world. It was never God's intention for us to stay away from the world. In fact, I would argue that Jesus filled us with his spirit so we could go right in the middle of it. So we could go into the darkest places and bring the light with us. That was his design. Not only are we called to be in the middle of the world though, but we're called to have contentment and joy in the middle of the world. Christ never promised that life would be easy. Christ never promised that there wouldn't be any bumps in the road or any troubles that would come to us. But he did promise that if we're connected with Jesus Christ, we will have joy. And we will have deep, deep contentment that completes us. And this section of his prayer deals with kind of the negative side of our faith. By negative, I mean kind of the darker side that there will be people that hate us, as I've learned in the last couple of weeks. There will be people that will hate us simply because we follow Christ. But Jesus wanted us to know that regardless of what comes at us, regardless of what the world throws at us, they don't have to be able to steal our contentment. That if we're connected to Christ, we can still have joy regardless of the adversity, regardless of people's opinions. Okay, so side note, right? Jesus is saying all of this out loud. They could all hear him as they're walking, right? And the reason why it's important to point that out is two reasons. One, we need to pray audibly because audible words hold power. How did Jesus, I'm sorry, how did God create everything in Genesis 1 and 2? He spoke it. If you go to Revelation, how does he destroy all evil? It says he opens his mouth and he speaks it, right? So he created everything and he will ultimately wipe out all evil through the spoken word. So it's important that we speak things in prayer. It's important to confess things. It's important to speak things, right? Also, it helps us focus our prayers. I don't know if any of you who, who pray in your mind sometimes, I do that sometimes, and like I'm praying and all of a sudden I start thinking about how I need to mulch the front yard, and I'm like, how in the heck did I end up there, right? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I start thinking about like cars I want to own, like, man, I wonder if I could ever buy a DeLorean, right? And I start thinking these crazy things and I have to you know, ask for God to forgive me that I got so sidetracked. One of the things about praying out loud is it helps us focus. We hear our words, we focus better on God. Here's another thing about praying out loud. Again, if you're a parent in here, I really want to encourage you about this. When we pray out loud around other people, it models a healthy conversation with God to others. We do it in our small group. And at first, it's a little uncomfortable, right? You get a bunch of 20-somethings in your house, and I'm like, hey, so-and-so, pray, right? And at first, you're like, uh, you know, God help me, you know, like... We don't know what to say, but that's okay. We need to break through that. And we need to hear other people pray and hear how it's modeled. My eight-year-old daughter, Aya, will get in our small group, which is all 20-somethings, and then me and my wife, who are not 20-somethings anymore, but we get in this group, and my eight-year-old, she'll volunteer, I'll pray, I'll open up, and she prays eloquently, eight years old. And she'll say, and it's not like the, you know, now I lay me down to sleep type prayers. She'll say, God, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our bad attitudes, and she'll like dive into it. And the reason she knows to do that, though, is she has heard my wife and I pray. We do it with her 
every single night, right? And so we model that for her. Oh, let me go back because this is important. Our words have enormous impact on other people. Ask any woman who's been married to a verbally abusive husband. Ask anyone who had a verbally abusive father or mother. Our words are huge, especially when they're negative, right? They're negative. But if our negative words have so much of an impact, think how much more affirmative words have on other people. As Christians, we need to speak positive things to people. We need to speak life into people. We need to tell people that they're wonderful. We need to pray for people. We need to tell people that we're thinking about them. We need to walk in and brighten people's day just by simple words that we speak. The Bible says, I think it's in the book of James, that only God can tame the tongue, right? That there is power within our words, and we need to be cognizant of that as Christians. Okay, so Jesus says that they're to be in the world, right? So I think it's, it's safe to say we all agree that we are not called to isolate ourselves from the world. Jesus never told us to isolate ourselves from the world. Jesus, in fact, he says, I'm not praying that you remove them from the world. He says that. He says, I'm, pro- I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus said, I don't want them to live in a Christian bubble, right? I don't want them to only hang out at certain places with people just like them. I want them to be out in the middle of the darkness. But God, what I want you to do is protect them. Don't let the darkness penetrate them. Let them have an awareness of evil so they can avoid the evil but still bring in the light. The only way we can do that is we must be sanctified, which that's another fancy word. All that means is we must be set apart by God for his purposes. Now, we must be purified by repentance, which means we must ask God to forgive us of our sins, right? We must empty ourselves of ourselves, and we must be dedicated to the Word of God. Jesus says, your word is truth, and the truth is what sets us apart. It's what sanctifies us and prepares us to go into the world. Now, separation or sanctification came because Jesus infiltrated the dark, Now, what I mean by that is this. The Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world, and it says in the book of Matthew that Jesus came with a sword. That doesn't mean that he came to fight, right, or do like Olympic fencing. He came into the world to draw a line in the sand between what is good and what is bad. He separated good and evil. Now, the Son was going to send out his followers to do the exact same thing. I have instructed you, I have separated you so you can go out and then help separate the world, right? From good and evil. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can positively affect the world around us is we don't need to be isolated from the world. We just need to be insulated by the Holy Spirit. If we are covered up thick enough with God, we can go out into the darkness and we can bring in the light. If you study simple physics, darkness never overcomes light. Light always overcomes darkness. And if we are just making sure that we are filled with the light, insulated by the light, we're going to be okay. We can engage the darkest corners of our world. Here's the thing, though. Insulation takes preparation. You ever meet those people that get saved on a Tuesday and by Thursday, they're just like, I want to pastor 8,000 people. (laughs) Let's start by you reading the Bible first, right? And then we'll work from there, right? So, but that's what we do sometimes. And listen, we don't want to like snuff out people's passion. I don't want to like chill people out on their passion for Christ. But if we don't properly insulate people, if we don't properly prepare people to go out, the world will eat them alive. 
It even says in the gospels that if we clean the house and if we don't fill it back up, it's gonna be seven times worse than when we left it. There have been young people, and I'm not trying to pick on them or make fun of them, who've come to this church and are like, I feel called to Europe. I'm gonna go to Europe and change Europe. And I'm like, okay, my wife was raised in Europe. Do you know how many Christians are in Europe? Do you know what the percentage of Christians are in Europe? Well, I don't know much about it, but I feel called there, right? I feel called to, to Sweden or Brussels or I feel called to Stockholm or whatever the case may be. And so we will, you know, okay, we'll pray for you. And they will go to those areas. And we sent a couple of, we didn't send them, but they went to these areas in Europe. And two of those people came back and they weren't believers anymore. They weren't prepared. They weren't insulated by the Holy Spirit. They hadn't taken the time to be discipled yet. And so when they went and engaged the dark, the dark overcame them. Why? I'm not picking on them. All of us can fall prey to that. We can all become worldly if we're not careful because ultimately all of us can be selfish if our hearts are not prepared and if it's not filled up with Christ. If we are not prepared, we can be very selfish and it can get the best of us. Even me, even all of us, even when you're pastoring a big church, if you're not careful, sometimes I'll you know, be like a little baby with my wife why don't I make more money or why don't I have this or why can't I don't have these luxuries that other people have and I have to catch myself and be like, Corey, you're being really selfish right now. We can all go down that route if we're not careful. And if we're not properly insulated and prepared, we cannot go into the night, okay? But let's get on this last part. I pray not only for these, he's talking about his 11, but also those who will believe in me through their message. Guys, that's us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you've given me to be with me where I am. They will see my glory which you've given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known. So the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. So here's the thing. When we read the Bible, some people read the Bible from a historical context and that's fine. There's a lot of great history in it. But sometimes people think it was written for a specific group of people a long time ago. In my opinion, verse 20 crushes that. This is, this is written in the future tense and Jesus is praying for things that haven't happened yet. He said, for all the people who are going to be affected by these 11 disciples, I pray for them. Guys, that's us. And not only does he pray for the, the future Christians, he prays that the future Christians are united. It's not just Jesus's heart that we become saved. It is Jesus's heart that we become united like he and the Father are united. Is this difficult? Yes, it's difficult. It's not always easy to get along with other Christians, but this is something we need to be working for all the time. Why do we need to be working for it? Because the unity of the church, not just the experience, I'm talking about the unity of the church, is a witness to the world. If Jesus said, you will be known by how you treat each other and how you love each other, how confused is the world going to be when Christianity can't get along with each other? It's 
no wonder why we receive so much criticism because we can't get along very well with each other. We won't do events with each other because Southern Christian culture has created its own trinity, right? Budgets, butts and seats, and buildings. That's the holy trinity of the Southern Christian church. And we wanna make sure that those things don't get affected. I shouldn't have said that because this one's being recorded and someone will take that out of context or whatever. But we've made those things more important than the kingdom of God. So we don't wanna partner with other churches because, oh my gosh, that guy may be a better speaker than me and someone may leave here and go there. And so we're afraid of that. Now listen, are there times for churches to be held accountable by other churches? Yes. Are there even times when we shouldn't associate with certain churches? Yes, there's times for that. But when you boil it down, we have been called by God to bind together for a greater kingdom than the Experience Community Church. We have been called by God to bind together bigger than the Baptist Church or the Pentecostal Church or the Catholic Church. It is bigger than these institutions. It is about people either going to heaven or not going to heaven. It's bigger than us. You guys with me? And so one day we're going to have to get over this whole, like, my team, your team mentality. So I was saved in the United Pentecostal Church. I'm not trying to pick on them, but we used to pick on ourselves because we thought we were the only ones going to heaven, right, as is every denomination. And we used to tell this joke, and we would, we, this joke was there was a guy that passed away, right, and he went up to heaven, and St. Peter's showing him around heaven. And they came by this one wall where there's a door that just says, do not disturb, right? Please be quiet, do not disturb. And this guy looks at St. Peter and he goes, what's up with the door? What's on the other side? And he goes, oh, that's where we keep the Pentecostals. They think they're the only one up here, right? (laughs) And so, now please, that's awful. You can't clap for that. That's terrible. Shouldn't have made that joke. But we're gonna have to get over this us and them mentality because we're gonna be partying with other Christians for eternity in heaven, right? So we should probably get over our minors, not get so distracted by the state of the church right now or get discouraged by the state of the church right now, but we need to be focusing on Christ, focusing on eternity, and just focusing on getting as many people to heaven as we possibly can. That needs to be our emphasis and our focus. So Jesus prays, go back and read how many times he says one in this part that I just read probably 10, 15 times, one, 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 over and over and over again. So he prays for unity of the church. And then he also prays, Jesus says, righteous father. Now this is important. This is alluding to the justice of God. We often talk about how God is love and God is love, but God is also a righteous, just judge. He is also that. And the world will be excluded from the final glory of being with God if they reject Jesus. They will be excluded because God is fair. Now, on the other side of that, those of us who are dedicated to Christ, who have to suffer for his name, we will be vindicated by God. Now, if you go into the book of Revelation, there is a certain cheering section in heaven right now for all the people who've been killed for Jesus's name. And it says in the book of Revelation, they're constantly calling out for God to vindicate them. And Jesus says, be patient, I will vindicate you. I will pour out my wrath on those who have done this to you, that he is going to take care of them. So we have to trust that God sees all, knows all, and he is a fair and righteous father. So as Christians, you and I, we have the spirit of God in us to equip us to go out into this world, into this craziness, into this darkness. And the work that Jesus has equipped us to ultimately do is very, very simple. It's to go out and love people around us by acting like Jesus to the best of our abilities and sharing to them who Jesus is. 
So we do our best to treat other people, respond to other people, talk to other people like Jesus does with us, and then we share who Jesus is. And as believers, guys, as nutty as the world gets, as dark as it gets, we cannot be intimidated by that. We cannot be distracted by our, our, all these other things. We cannot get detracted from the mission that Christ has called us to do, even when the odds seem insurmountable. Now, I got my degree in English. I got my minor in film studies. If you just want a minor that's not worth anything, film studies is probably that, right? I didn't even learn how to make films. I just learned how to watch films and critique them. So what I got out of my minor is when my wife and I are watching a movie in the theater, I'm like, hey, there's continuity issues here. And she's like, shut up. You know, like that's kind of, that's what I got out of my minor. Another thing I got out of my minor is this. I learned to read things cinematically. I just think of them in my head and what they look like. At the end of this chapter, let me see if I can paint the picture for you. As chapter 17 ends, Jesus and these 11 terrified men, some of them young in their 20s, right? Jesus and these 11 terrified men step into the most horrifying situation you could possibly be put into. It seemed like the whole world was against them. They didn't know what the future was going to look like. And Jesus said, come on, follow me. And they're going to go into the darkest parts of the night. This is a spoiler alert, but when they get into the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18, Judas shows up with soldiers. They get into a scuffle. They arrest Jesus and the men scatter, right? If you're reading this for the first time, you're like, what is happening, right? It's all falling apart. But soon we're going to see that the hope of the cross brings light to even the most confusing times, right? The darkest hours that we can possibly face. Here's the thing about the people in the Bible. Let's talk specifically about the disciples. There's a book that Josh McDowell did years ago, a great book. You could read it in one sitting. It's called More Than a Carpenter, great book. And one of the points that he makes in the book in More Than a Carpenter is, if you look at the disciples before they met Jesus and even during their time of being discipled, they were like scared little children. <laughs> Jesus had to get on to them. There's a time they try to cast a demon out of someone and basically the person who's demon-possessed laughs at him, Right? And Jesus has to come in, cast the demon out, and say, when are you guys going to learn? And so these, these guys were like scared children. They scattered. They ran away from Christ. They didn't handle pressure very well. And so what we see in the Bible is we oftentimes think that the people that the Bible has written about, that they're some kind of like superheroes, right? That they're different from us. When we go into the Old Testament and we read about King David, who as a kid picked up a stone, slung it around, killed a giant, and saved a nation, Right? And then we forget that when he eventually became king, one day he was looking out over his kingdom and he saw a beautiful naked woman. And he said, I want her. And his people said, well, she's married. And he said, that's okay, kill him and bring me her. That was King David, the man after God's own heart. We read about Paul who wrote 70% of the New Testament, right? Without Paul, we wouldn't have most of the theology that we call Christianity. And we read about Paul. We forget that Paul imprisoned women and children. He didn't just kill Stephen, the first martyr. He imprisoned women and children. We read the first five books of the Bible, right? The Torah, the thing that the Jews hold up higher than everything. And we read about Moses who split the Red Sea and did all these miraculous things. He also lost his temper and killed a man. We forget that these people are like us. 
But when we learn that, right, we, we start to see that humanity hasn't changed much, right? We're still scared children in a lot of ways. But here's how good Jesus is. Though the disciples were scared children, though they all split when times got rough, right? They all left him, except for John, right? They all split. Jesus still, he still died on the cross. Even though no one supported him, even though no one was around him, it says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Jesus died. And he graciously poured out his Holy Spirit on these 11 disciples, and they turned from scared children to ambassadors for the kingdom. Because of the Holy Spirit in them, because they were insulated by God, because Jesus interceded for us. Let, wrap your brain around this. Jesus, right before his crucifixion, he prayed for me. He prayed for you. He said, Father, for all those who are gonna come into a relationship with me because of the 11 disciples, pray for them. I pray for them. Protect them. He prayed for us. As cheesy as it sounds, you and I were on his mind. He interceded for us. He unifies us. He brings us together. Look at just this church in general. We have the most eclectic people in the world at this church. You have millionaires. You have people that don't have a place to sleep at night. You have hippies, you have yuppies, you have white, black, all this weird people that come together because God unifies us. Not because of the clothes we wear or the music we listen to, but because we're unified in Him, right? He brings us together. He loves us. And because of the love He has for us, we then are enabled to have love for others. Christ gives us hope. He shows the world that he lives, and he shows the world that he lives through us. And he shows us that he wants us to live. I'm not just talking about eternal life. Christ wants us to have a better life now. Not more stuff, not more money. That's not what I'm talking about. He wants us to have joy and contentment. So here's the thing. We can go into the darkest corners of humanity. We can engage child pornography. We can engage sex trafficking. We can engage the divorce rate. We can engage anxiety and depression. We can engage broken homes. We can engage domestic abuse. We can engage the darkest corners of our world if, 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 if we're walking with Christ, if we're praying if we're preparing, if we're reading the Word of God, if we're insulated by the Holy Spirit, there's no amount of darkness that can overcome us because Christ is inside of us. But we must be prepared. We must be ready. We have overcomplicated this whole Christian thing. We've overcomplicated it. We try to read all these self-help books. I'm not, a, I'm not against books. I read lots of books. If you've ever been in my office, I got a gazillion books. I'm not against books. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against community service. I'm not against therapy. I'm not against all the, I'm not against any of those things. Those things are fine. I'm not against doctors. I'm not against medication. But what I've found over the last couple of months that I keep noticing over and over and over again is it kind of seems like Jesus is our last resort. We try everything else And the other day, I take Taekwondo from a guy four days a week. You can make fun of me later. Um, 
but I take Taekwondo and this guy comes here. He doesn't come to church here. He goes to North Boulevard Church of Christ. Great guy, man, spirit-filled guy, just awesome guy. His name's Ken Carlson, great man. He's just very simple in how he thinks. And so because he doesn't come to church here, I just like dump it on him, right? Like we got to, and it's a good way when I'm really tired where I can kind of like rest for a second, you know, while I'm getting my butt kicked, that I can just like, you know, so I just like blah all these things on him. All these things are going on, blah, these people make me mad, blah, these things are happening, blah, 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 and I just dump it all on him, right? All the problems from the last month, I just dumped on Ken the other day. And Ken's sitting there and he paces around a little bit. And he says, Corey, you know what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, uh, you're about to tell me, aren't you? You know, but uh, he says, you know what's wrong with you? You're so focused on the problem that you forget to look at the solution. And it hit me. I had this epiphany. And, and all of you guys probably already know it. Just bear with me for a second. The reason why marriages are falling apart, the reason why there's bad relationships between fathers and sons and daughters the reason why people hurt each other, the reason why people speak viciously, the reason why we're greedy and materialistic and selfish, the reason why economies are bad, the reason why governments are corrupt, the reason why all these things are happening is because there's too much of a gap between us and Jesus. That's it. That's it. We can blame it on our childhood. We can blame it on these situations. We can blame it on the hand that we've been dealt. But the bottom line is this, is the problems in my life start to overwhelm me when I'm not close to the light. So I ask you, what is the stress? What is the fear? What is the temptation? What is the obstacle? What is the mountain? All I know is this, I don't have the answer for every problem, I don't have the solution for every equation, but I know that Jesus says this, if we have just a little bit of faith, he equated it to a mustard seed, right? If we just have a little bit of faith, you ever seen a mustard seed? A little bit of faith. If we just have that much, Jesus said you can look at that obstacle and say go into the sea, and it will. All I know is this, I'm a simple man that's not very educated. But I know if we can close the proximity between us and Christ, he'll help us. I know that if we will close the proximity between us and Jesus Christ, that marriages can be saved, relationships can be healed, economies can be dealt with, governments can be overhauled, family dynamics can change, depression can go away. I believe these things. And our problem is, is that we don't talk to him as much as we should. Can we engage the night? Absolutely we can. Absolutely. Name the darkest corners of society, and yes, we can engage it if we are overflowing with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Anticlimactic, huh? Pretty simple. But we've looked to so many other ways, and Jesus is up there the whole time saying, I'm your answer. I'm your answer. Listen, if you pray today for God to move a mountain in your life, it may not happen instantly. It may not happen by the time you get home. But if you bring your troubles, your fears, your obstacles, your anxieties, your, your insecurities, whatever you have going on in your life, if you present those things at the feet of Jesus Christ every single day, God will put that mountain into the sea. I give you my word. 
Every day, we must come to him. Paul said that I die every single day, which means I trusted my life with Christ every day when I woke up. If we will trust him with our life every single day, if we will read the word of God and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to be in us, bring on the darkness because the light will never be overtaken by it. Just bow your heads with me. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you do me a favor and would you think of the biggest thing that stresses you out in life right now? Would you think about your biggest frustrations? Would you think about your biggest fear? Would you think about, maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your lack of ambition. Maybe whatever it is, whatever that mountain is in your life, I'd love for you to focus on that for a second. Now, as you're focusing on that, let me tell you, there's communion all the way around us. What that is, is that's just a representation. It's a tangible reminder of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, rose from the grave, filled his believers with his Holy Spirit, so that if we have faith, we can look at whatever you're looking at in your mind's eye right now, that we can face that obstacle and say, in Jesus' name, move. And that God can start to move those obstacles in our life, that he can do that. So when we take communion, this isn't just so we can get like a free cracker and juice. This is so we can be reminded that God has given us his spirit, that we can go into the dark and not be overtaken by the dark, that we can face obstacles and not be overcome by our fear, that we can face these things as long as he is with us. If you need prayer, there's people up here to my right and left, they would love to lay hands on you and pray with you. In the authority of Jesus' name, they will hold you up. There's communion all the way around you at all the tables, all the way around the room. But I would love for you to pray to Christ with faith that these mountains are going to start to move. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God. If there's anyone in this room who is a new Christian or maybe they're not a believer, Father, I pray that just something today stuck out to them. I pray, God, that if they're looking for the answers, that they just continue to look for the answers. And if they do, God, you'll show them the truth. You'll show them you. Father, for everyone in this room, God, I want to pray for every marriage. I want to pray for every relationship with children. I want to pray for every friendship. I want to pray for every work environment. I want to pray for every stress and anxiety and fear. And I want to pray right now in Jesus' name that you start to chip away at that mountain. I pray in Jesus' name that we can be dedicated to you every day and trust in you, God, that you will fight our battles and that you have a good plan for us. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man, I love you guys like crazy. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy your spring break if you're in here.